0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So we invite your presence in your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if I were to ask you this morning, uh, maybe not in a group setting, but one-on-one, uh, can Jesus take care of you? Is Jesus powerful enough and strong enough to take care of you no matter what? Uh, what would you answer? My, my guess is that most of us, if we've uh, walked with Christ for very long, would say absolutely. Like we, we know that's the right answer, right? That yes, Jesus can take care of us. Jesus is powerful enough and he's loving and good enough uh, that, um, that he, we can affirm that 100%. That's truth. Um, and uh, as we see in this story of Peter, uh, faith is easy when things are going well. You know, when you're still in the boat, faith is easy. It's easy to affirm truth uh, when it's not really being put to test. the test. But what happens to us in the midst of a crisis? Right? What happens when everything is falling apart around us, when things are getting difficult, uh, when, when things are hard? Uh, We may still know the right answer, but by the way we live and by the way we feel, are we really affirming that Jesus absolutely can take care of us? Or would we say, well, I think Jesus can take care of us theoretically, but I don't feel like it in the midst of the storm. And that's certainly what happened to Peter. And of course, the proof of real test, uh, the proof of real faith, the real test is not... uh, how, what, what, how or what we believe when everything's going well, the real test of our faith is, is what we experience, what we feel when life is falling apart. So uh, that's what this story is about. And uh, the question we want to ask is, how can we grow our faith so that it stands strong and firm when, when things are hard, when life is falling apart? Uh, how can we have a faith that's really unshakable, and unmoved, uh, regardless of circumstances around us. Um, so let's look at this very fun story of Peter and Jesus walking on the water. Um, and this story is very much connected with the story before it about Jesus feeding the five thousand, and it really begins there. So if you're here last Sunday, uh, we learned that Jesus um, went to a, a very desert, a deserted, remote wilderness place. Uh, to be alone, and Jesus was seeking solitude. Uh, but when he got to his destination, there's this massive crowd there, uh, thousands of people, five thousand men were told, and plus their families. And uh, Jesus heals heals them. He ministers to them. He has compassion for them. Um, but uh, at the end of that uh, story, Jesus actually feeds them all with the five loaves of bread and two fish, does an amazing miracle. But when all that is done, Jesus still has a goal of getting alone and having some, some silence and some quiet and some, some solitude. Right? And so it says in verse 21 that immediately after he had fed the, the crowd, uh, and he, after he would performed that a miracle and everybody eaten until they were stuffed and full, and they all wanted to take a nap, but Jesus said, sorry, no time for a nap. And it was getting dark. And so Jesus says, May the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds and sent them away. And then it says that Jesus, uh, uh, when evening came, I'm sorry, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So we see in this account two long nights, one long night for Jesus and another long night for the disciples. Uh, Jesus' long night was a long night of prayer. And we know from a little later in the story that this goes on till the fourth watch of, fourth watch of the night, which would have been somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So basically, Jesus spends all or most of the night in prayer, uh, and in his solitude. And it's a unique moment in the Gospel of Matthew. i uh, not, uh, One, because uh, Matthew does not call out often uh, Jesus praying, although we know from the other Gospels that Jesus was a man who prayed constantly in prayer. Um, But but, uh, Matthew calls it out here, and it's not just praying, but Jesus prays in solitude. He gets away from everything, and he spends time connecting with the heart of his Father and praying to his Father. Uh, But it was also a long night for the disciples, although for a very different reason. And it says um, that when evening came, Jesus was alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So they'd gotten in the boat, and they were rowing the boat across the uh, the Sea of Galilee. And it says that they were probably, uh, it says in in the Greek, many stadia. (laughs) I don't know how far that is, but probably a couple miles, two or three miles out, away from the shore, in the middle of the lake. And this huge gust of wind, uh, windstorm comes up, and it is beating the boat. The Greek word there literally means to torture or torment. They're being tortured by the wind. And uh, if you've ever been in a boat, a rowboat, where you're rowing, the wind is not your friend when it's blowing in your face, right? And uh, they were out there rowing hour after hour, just trying to not lose ground, Right? And you can just imagine how discouraging this is. You're straining at the oars and laboring and laboring, and you are going nowhere, right? You're just killing yourself not to go backwards. Well, that's that was what was going on for them. And this was going on for hours, you know, all through the night. And it had to be a little exhausting as well as very discouraging uh, as they're just struggling to... Uh, to not uh, to, struggling to go nowhere, right? They're laboring all this just to stay right where they are, right in the middle of the lake. Um, but in the midst of that, uh, it says that, and, and really, this is all background to, get, to set up the scene for what's happened. So Jesus is on the mountaintop, and they're out in the middle of the Sea of, of Galilee, and it's one of the rare moments in the in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is not with his disciples, right? and uh most of the time, Jesus is pictured with his disciples. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is praying before he goes to the cross, he is there with his disciples. So it's a rare moment, and part of it is because of the theology of Matthew, which we see all the way at the end of the uh, gospel, that uh, Jesus is, is with us always. Right? Jesus never leaves us or abandons us. Never, Jesus never uh, walks out on us. He's always there for us. And so even though they're separate at this time, uh, what we see is that Jesus doesn't just leave them alone. He doesn't leave them out in the middle of the lake. And Jesus is very aware of what's going on. And he goes uh, walking on the water. He goes right to where they are because he knows what's going on. He knows their struggle. So it says um, uh, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He came to them. Uh, It's an amazing picture uh, that Jesus shows up in the midst of their struggle. Jesus has not forgotten them, and he has not uh, ignored their struggle. Now, they may have not felt that, right? They're out there in the middle of the night. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And they're rowing and struggling. And maybe they were thinking, where's Jesus? Like if he were here maybe this wouldn't we wouldn't have this problem. Right? And sometimes that's how it is when we uh, are in the midst of a storm. Life is falling apart. Things are getting difficult. And we may ask that very question, where is Jesus? Why isn't he here helping me? But we have this amazing promise uh, in Matthew 28:20. 20, Jesus says, "Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Right? To the end of time. I am with you always. Uh, and that's what he's modeling here. Even though he wasn't right with them, he was watching them and he had an eye on them. And when the time came, he went to them to to meet them and to help them in their struggle. Now, of course, we, might, uh, we may ask, well, it sure took him long enough, right? Like here it's three or four or five, maybe even six in the morning. Maybe the sun started to come up. Why did it take so long? Well, we don't know why God sometimes doesn't work on my timetable. My theory is God is always late. Right? He's always late. He's always slow. God has his purpose. Uh, but know this, God is never uh, uh, giving up on us. Right? He's always there. He's always watching. And that whole time as Jesus was praying, he, uh, he knew their struggle, and he, he was thinking about them. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says this, uh, he, uh, God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? So, so that's a great promise for us. Jesus knew where they were. He knew the trouble they were in, and he goes and he meets them. Uh, and the same will be true for us. Uh, and so he's coming, and it says he's coming on the water. He is walking on the water, which is uh, an incredible miracle. To be honest, have any of you tried this? Be honest now. I have right. When I was a kid, I thought I think I can do this. And uh, you know, you see the the videos where they, like they they take cars or motorcycles or whatever really fast, and you get enough speed, you can actually stay on the water. I thought, you know, if I run fast enough, I could probably get at least two or three steps. I, I challenge you to try this. So It's really quite fun. And I'm telling, you, I don't care how fast you run. I mean, maybe if you get you know have a pickup truck pulling you, you could do this. But I'm telling you, just in your own strength, the second that first toe hits the water, you start sinking. It's dramatic, right? There, there's not even, there's not even the, the, the slightest hint of being on top of the water, right? You just go down, poosh, right? And here Jesus is walking on the water, incredible miracle. In fact, so incredible that a lot of people who uh, don't believe in miracles uh, try to rearrange this story in all kinds of bizarre ways. But uh, Matthew makes it clear, he's out miles away from the shore, it's not a matter of Jesus you know, walking along the shore, and it just looks like he's on water. Now They're miles out, and it's a deep lake, and, and here's Jesus walking on the water. Right? But of course, uh, when they see him coming, and remember, you've got to get the scene here. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. The wind is just howling. They've been rowing like crazy all night, and uh, it's, it's, not a, it's already kind of a little bit of an eerie scene. Like I don't know about you, but water kind of freaks me out anyway. And being on the middle of a lake in the dark is is uh, is already kind of a scary moment, right? And here comes Jesus walking, and and, and they freak out, right? They say it's a ghost. Now, I don't know if they really believed in ghosts. Uh, certainly, we it's not good theology, right? If they believe in ghosts, but honestly. If you're in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a lake, in the dark, and you see somebody walking, which is the more logical explanation? It's a ghost or it's a person? I'm I'm thinking the ghost is more logical, right? Because people just don't walk on water. This is not normal. This is not what you would expect. So actually the ghost kind of makes sense here. They they see this vision. And uh, back in in those days especially, there was this belief that people who died at sea, that their bodies or their souls or spirits would be trapped and uh, couldn't couldn't escape this life, and so they would roam on the on the sea. So maybe they had heard these uh, myths or legends, and that just made sense to them. Uh, but Jesus quickly reassures them uh, that it's not a ghost, that it's him, and he he identifies himself. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, "Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid." Right, and instantly they recognize his voice and they recognize him, and it uh, changes everything. Right. It changes everything when they know that Jesus has shown up. He's there with them. And uh, it doesn't uh, record their, their response, only Peter's, uh, but certainly uh, there's this breath of relief, right? Jesus is with them. Jesus uh, has come to their rescue and their aid. And there really is no need to worry or fear when Jesus is near. And uh, this is a great uh, principle for us to hold on to, right? We, we never need to worry or fear when Jesus is near. And he's already promised uh, that he is always with us. And so that's great hope. That's very comforting words. Uh, God uh, has promised, and Jesus has promised, to take care of his children, and to be with them, and to watch over them. Um, now, it's also important to note that Jesus has not promised that there would never be trouble. right? Jesus never promised that there wouldn't be s- severe storms and winds like this, and that there would, would not be uh, times in our life when we feel like we're in serious trouble, when we feel like life is falling apart. He never promised that. In fact, he's promised the opposite. He's promised that in this life you will have trouble. But what he has promised is that even though you'll have trouble, even though there will be difficulties, that he will always be with us in every struggle and every difficulty. Always. 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 Right? That is Jesus' promise in his own own word. I will be with you. I will take care of you. I will come to you in your time of need. Um, Maybe right now you're in a time of of, of a storm, right? Maybe there is some relationship problem that uh, you feel is about to sink your ship, right? Uh, Maybe it's a financial crisis that you are worried about. Maybe it's a health problem that you are dealing with. It uh, can be many things, right? There are, these are the storms of life. And Jesus never promised that we would not have these. Uh, but he's promised to be with us. So so uh, we don't know really what the disciples thought. We we, we would assume that they're encouraged by Jesus' presence with them. But Peter has just this crazy idea, right? And so Peter uh, answered Jesus. Uh, he's the first one to speak, and he answers Jesus, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, I'm just thinking this is a bad idea at so many levels, right? What, what is Peter thinking, right? And, uh, and in fact, like, it's interesting uh, when you re, I, you know, I read all the commentaries, and a lot of commentators say the same thing. What was Peter thinking? And there's a lot of people who try to figure out Peter's motives. Is Peter some kind of, like, thrill seeker? Like, hey, that looks kind of cool. Can I try? Um uh, maybe Peter uh, is, is uh, I don't know, just excited to G- see Jesus and wants to be closer to him. Um, we don't know what Peter's motives were, and Scripture doesn't record them. And unfortunately, there's a lot of sermons, uh, maybe bad sermons, based on assumptions about what Peter was thinking. We don't know what Peter was thinking. Maybe, as it seems would be often with Peter, maybe he wasn't thinking at all. Like, he seemed to just do things, right? Kind of those spontaneous, you know, fly by the seat of the pants guys who maybe just really didn't think this all through really well. Um, and so, so we wonder: is this really a good idea? Right? Like, should um, uh, should Peter be doing this? What's interesting is that Peter, uh, and Peter doesn't just jump out of the boat, right? Peter's very smart, and he says, "If it's you." And by the way, it's a, it's, it's in the Greek. There's different ways to say the word "if," and the different ways. Determine the amount of certainty you have that it's true or not true. Well, here, Peter uses a form of if that is the highest level of certainty. So he's not saying, Lord, I'm not really sure that it's you, but if it is you, uh, invite me to come out there, command me to come out. No, it's, it's the if of highest certainty. So it's almost like Peter's saying, Lord Jesus, I know it's you, and so I am asking you to command me to join you. Right? And, and Peter's really smart. Uh, like, he doesn't ask, can I come out there? Because like, Jesus could say, well, it's up to you, right? Sure, go for it. Give it a try. No, he says, he says, if you command me, I'll go. And this is really brilliant. Because here's the truth. Jesus will never command us to do something that will harm us, that, that's not going to work, right? Jesus is not the kind of guy that, that will pull the rug out from underneath us as a joke, right? He's not like that. He's not going to say, oh, sure, get out of the boat, Peter. I'm going to watch you sink like a rock. This is going to be so fun. No, this, Jesus is not like that. right? He, he's loving, he's compassionate, and, and, um, and he wants to give Peter this opportunity. So, in fact, Jesus does command him. He says, come, come on. And it's a command verb. He says, come on, you come out here and you join me. Um, uh, and some people would even say, and I've seen some commentators say, you know, why did Jesus go along with this crazy idea, right? What was Jesus thinking, right? Well, I think I think what Peter models here is a very core and basic principle of what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. Yeah, follow. What is a follower of Jesus? Well, it's somebody who follows him, right? It's somebody who goes where Jesus is going and walks with Jesus where Jesus is walking, and does what Jesus is doing. Right, It's coming alongside Jesus and doing life and ministry with him. And so Peter actually, I think, is asking a very legitimate question. It's like, right now, what Jesus is doing is walking on the water. Uh, Which, by the way, I didn't mention this, but Jesus is doing this partly to help them. But also, as we'll see at the end of this story, Jesus is revealing something about his own nature and character, by doing this, right? He's, he's, Jesus came, his mission was to reveal the Father. And walking on the water is revealing God's glory all over the place, right? He's showing something of who God is and and his own nature, as we'll see, as, as, as God. Um, uh, but but uh, Jesus' life is, is not one that's only out there where he does it by himself. Jesus always is inviting and calling us to join him in what he is doing. And at this moment, Jesus is walking on the water, and it's actually good and right for Peter to want to do the same thing. That's what a follower does. It's like, Jesus, I want to join you in what you are doing, and right now you are doing some cool stuff. Walking on the water, uh, command me to to participate with you in what you are doing. It really is the heart of discipleship. Um. So does that mean that we can walk on water? Right? Uh, like I said, I tried it. So far it hasn't worked so well for me. Uh, uh, and, and, and here's the thing. If you're ever out on a lake, and maybe you're on a cruise somewhere, and you see Jesus walking on the water, that's the time to ask Jesus, can I walk with you on the water? Right? Because that's what he's doing. Okay? If you don't see that, I wouldn't go there. Especially if it's a big ocean. Right? Um, But here's the thing. Uh, Jesus does call us and invite us to join him in what he is doing right now. And right now he's not walking on the water, but he's showing the Father's glory in other ways. Jesus is working. He is always working. And the key question for us as followers of Jesus, as those who who have committed our lives to, to being his disciple, the question we should be asking is, Jesus, what are you doing right now? And would you command me, would you send me to join with you in what you are doing right now in the world and in the place where I am living? And Jesus is working. Uh, and he does invite us to join him. And that's really what ministry should be about. One of my favorite passages in, in John is how Jesus himself models this. In John chapter 5, Jesus tells uh, the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, that is Jesus, the Son, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him. Right? Jesus himself saw that the key to life and ministry was not going off doing his own thing and asking God to bless it. That's a lot of times what we do, right? We get these great ideas and we're convinced that God will be as impressed with my ideas as I am, right? So, after all, it's a brilliant idea. Why would God not like it, right? And so we plunge forward doing our thing and we pray, God, I've got this great idea. I want you to bless my idea. I want you to come alongside and help me in the work I am doing, right? But Jesus himself didn't do that, right? Jesus said, No, I have no plans. I can do nothing by myself. My goal is to find out what God is doing, what the Father is doing, and I'm going to join Him in what He is doing. And if that was a secret for Jesus, how much does it need to be the guiding principle for our life? Jesus, what are you doing in the world? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing at my workplace? And you may think, well, I don't know if Jesus would ever show up at my workplace or in my neighborhood. Well, I tell, I'm telling you, Jesus is there, right? He is walking in those places. And, and he wants to do something in those places. He wants to reveal the Father's glory in those places. Right? And we should be saying, Jesus, command me to come out of the boat and join you in what you are doing. Um, so, so how do we do that? Well, that's kind of its own sermon. We don't have time for it, But how do we know what Jesus is doing? Right? How can we... Be convinced and know. Well, like I said, it's its own sermon, but here's three quick pointers to help us get in the right direction. First, we need to be asking and seeking in prayer what he's doing, right? That's part of the Lord's prayer. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, show me what your purpose and your will is. What is it in my world that you are doing? Prayerfully be seeking that God would show you and would reveal to you what Jesus is doing. Uh, second thing, uh, we need to be obedient to what he's already revealed in Scripture. Right? God's already told us a lot of very basic things. We could say they're kind of generic things. Like, for example, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? He's already made that pretty obvious. It's repeated often in Scripture. And so we don't, we don't need to know if Jesus, like, Jesus, do you really want me to love my neighbor who's kind of a jerk? And I don't really want to love him. Um, you don't have to ask Jesus because he's already made it clear, love your enemies, right? Love those who persecute you and pray for them. right So so uh, God will never reveal special things, specific things that He has for us to do if we're ignoring the things that He's already revealed in Scripture. right So we need to make sure that our life is lining up with everything He said is His will in, in the word. right? Uh, and then beyond that, when we start doing that well, I believe God will give specific instructions, specific direction. He will call out uh, and show us what he's doing. And he does that. And The third basic principle is he does that by his spirit. And uh, Jesus is no longer bodily here on this earth. He's uh, risen and ascended in heaven. But he has uh, given us his own Holy Spirit to lead us, to instruct us, to prompt us. And... uh, We need to learn how to hear and distinguish the voice of the Spirit from all the other voices that are going on in our life. And we need to walk by the Spirit. Um, And uh, Like I said, we don't have time to go into that whole topic, but we need to learn how to uh, listen and know what Jesus is doing and be eager to say, Lord, command me to go. Now, a word of warning. Notice that uh, Peter, when, when Jesus commanded Peter, he commanded him to get out of the boat and into a storm. He did not command him to get out of the boat and pull up his beach chair and sip a shake on the beach, right? Like, that's what I really want. Like, Jesus, I want to join you when you're on holiday at the beach. I like that plan, right? When you're, or when you're on that mountaintop praying and it's chill and there's no struggles, Lord, I want to join you in that. It's a lot harder when, when the place where Jesus is working is a firestorm of trouble. But that's where Jesus walks, right? That's where Jesus shows up to minister. He invites us uh, not into more of our comfort zone, but probably more into uh, not what's comfortable, right? Uh, so, so how does Peter respond? How does Peter deal with this? Well, Peter is for us a great lesson in faith. Uh, probably more of a negative lesson of how faith does not work. Uh, but we've got we to give it to Peter, right? He, um, he, does. he goes where no other disciples were willing to go, right? And so it says that Peter, uh, Lord, Lord Jesus has come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter starts out really well, right? He starts out so well. And Peter uh, has the faith to get himself out of the boat. Peter has confidence that Jesus can make this happen. Uh, Jesus is walking on water and he, he's confident that Jesus can do this for him as well. Um, uh, he has faith to want to be with G- Jesus and join him in his purpose. right? Um, but Peter is a great example of how this works in our life. All this makes perfect sense while he's in the boat. Like, and I don't know that he has a lot of time to think about this, but he's in the boat, and he's not sinking. He's not drowning. Uh, The wind's a little bit of, uh, it's kind of annoying. But there's really no threat to his life as long as he's in the boat. And as he's thinking this through, it makes perfect sense. Like, and if you said to Peter, Peter, do you believe Jesus can do this? Peter's like, absolutely. Right, absolutely. I'm getting out of the boat because I know Jesus can do this. Right? Awesome faith, right? Right? But then what happens? Uh, Faith is easy when he's in the boat. But notice what happens. He gets out of the boat, and he starts walking, and it's going along well. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He started to sink. What seemed so easy inside the boat became much more complicated when he got out of the boat, because now... Right, like now, there's nothing. There's no boat underneath him. There's nothing between him and the and the bottom of the ocean except for water. Right. Now, if I was Peter, the wind wouldn't have bothered me so much as this like endless depth of water, and I would have been started to thinking through the science of this and going, "This is not possible." Right. Uh, But that was not his issue. Uh, Jesus had made it possible, and so for him, that water was was as solid as ground. Right. That was not a problem for him. But what happened? He started seeing the wind. He started looking at the wind. He started thinking about the wind. And he was a sailor. He was a fisherman. He had spent a lot of time on that very lake. right? And he knew that the wind was his greatest enemy. And that if, anybody was, if anything could seek his ship, it, it was that kind of fierce wind. And uh, as he thought about it more, it says that he began to be afraid. He began to be afraid. And all of a sudden, what made great sense in theory when he was in the boat, all of a sudden does not make as much sense. Right? Have you ever heard the phrase? I like to use the phrase a lot. You know, well, it looked, it looked good on paper. Have you ever use that phrase? It looked good on paper. It's kind of an English idiom that means you make a plan, and when you draw the plan out on paper and you write out the plan, it looks perfect, right? But then when you actually go to do the plan, oftentimes it, it's not quite the same, right? Well, that's Peter. Well, it looked good on paper, what well, looked good in the book, all of a sudden now is, is is not so easy, right? And all of a sudden, Peter is afraid and he starts seeing the raging power of the wind and he asks a dangerous question. Is, is Jesus really more powerful than the wind, right? Is Jesus really able to take care of me? Or is the wind going to swallow me up? Right? And it's not long before that, uh, that fear turns into doubt. I'm not sure. Right? I'm not sure uh, if Jesus can really take care of me. And this is the test of faith. Right? The real test of faith is not what we believe when everything is going well. It's what we believe when everything is falling apart, right? When everything is going badly, um, do we still have that confidence that absolutely Jesus will take care of me? Or does fear start to creep in? Now, be honest with yourself. When things start going badly, you get attacked at work or you get attacked at home or, uh, you know. your mission board just told you that your sending agency just told you you don't have enough money anymore and uh, if that doesn't change you have to go home. Or maybe you know, you're stuck in Thailand and need to get out. Or maybe you have friends who are stuck outside or a spouse who's stuck outside and can't get in. And it's hard, right? Does uh, fear start to, to take a grip a hold of you, right? Do you start to get grouchy and irritable instead of joyful? Right? Those are signs that our, fear, our faith is crumbling, and we begin to doubt. And uh, where there is doubt, we will sink. And quickly, Peter, all of a sudden, the whole thing collapses on him, and he starts to sink. Um, and it shows a great relationship between faith and power. Uh, Peter was doing this completely by Jesus' doing. The only thing that he had to do was have faith that it would work. And as long as he had faith, life was good. But as soon as he began to doubt, uh, he, was, he limited uh, what God could do in his life. And he begins to sink. And in that moment, what does Peter do? Well, he does the right thing, right? Even though his faith failed, uh, at that moment he does the one sane thing uh, that he can do. And it says he cries out, Lord, save me, right? So even though he was full of doubt, full of fear, full of panic, uh, in that moment of desperation, he knew his only hope was Jesus. And he cries out, Lord, Jesus, saves me. And I love that Jesus reaches out and takes him by the hand. And where Peter's faith failed, Jesus does not fail. Right? Jesus does not fail him. And where Peter's uh, life fell apart and he began to sink and falter, Uh, With that one word, Lord Jesus, save me. Jesus quickly reaches out his hand and pulls him out of the water and plants him back in the boat. Uh, And so we see here Jesus responding with amazing grace. Jesus doesn't say, "Ah, Peter, you don't have faith. You're sinking. I'm telling you, there's no hope for you. You might as well just go to the bottom of the lake. (laughs) No, that's not what Jesus does. Right? In his grace and his love, he saves, he rescues Peter. Right? Even though his faith was not adequate. And we know it's not it was not af- adequate because along with Jesus' grace comes a rebuke. Oh, you have little faith. Right? I feel kind of bad for Peter. Like, like why couldn't Jesus have said, hey, that was a good try. You know, you started off good, and then it kind of went down, but, but boy, good job, Peter, that you tried. Good job, right? No, it's a good job. He's like, oh, you have a little faith. You blew it. You failed. It's like, yeah, but I'm the only one that got out of the boat. Doesn't that count for anything? Well, not really, right? Not really. Why is Jesus so hard on him when he was the only guy who even tried? Well, uh, when it comes to faith, Faith is everything for us, right? Faith is our Christian life. It is everything. It is the difference between walking on the water and sinking. It is the difference between life working and life not working. It all comes down to our faith and the power of God to work it out in our life, right? So, so here's the thing. When it comes to faith, it's not enough to make a good effort, right? It's not enough just to try, but in the end, fail. It is not enough to start off well, but when it gets tough to, to lose it, right? Faith is everything. And, and Jesus is not easy on him because, uh, not because he doesn't like Peter, but because it is so critical for Peter to get this, right? And so Jesus says, No, Peter, you have to have this faith. Well, oh, you have a little faith. You've got to work on this, right? This has got to work. Because if it doesn't, your life not it's only going to sink now, but ultimately your life will sink, right? Life is not going to work for for you if you don't learn to walk in faith. Uh, There's no such thing with faith as partial success, right? Either we have confidence in Jesus to help us and save us, or we don't, right? And fear and doubt are evidence of the lack of faith. Because um, fear and doubt is saying, well, I'm not sure... That God can really do this. I'm not sure that Jesus can really take care of me. I'm not sure He can really do exactly what He has promised. Right, and where there is where there is fear, there is sinking, and there is doubt. Right, but where there is faith, where there is confidence in Jesus that He can and will do everything is promised. There is nothing to fear. That there's nothing ever to fear. So, so let's just close with this one last question. How, how then do we build up our faith? Like if faith is everything. What does Peter need to do to, to fix this? What do we need to do to walk more in true faith? How do we build up our faith? Well, uh, the passage ends this way. Uh, so so uh, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Right, so Jesus has this test for the disciples in the boat and out, grabs Peter, throws him in the boat, and, and Jesus gets in the boat, and immediately the wind is done, and it's calm. Right, and the, the combined effect of Jesus walking on the water, and Jesus rescuing Peter, and uh, Jesus calming this, this, the, wave, the, the, the wind, uh, has an amazing and startling effect on the disciples. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is very interesting, because if you remember back in Matthew chapter 8, there was a very similar story where they were in the boat, uh, only Jesus was with them this time, and it said that the wind and the waves were about to capsize the boat. And uh, remember this story, Jesus was asleep in the back, and they wake him up, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus wakes up and he, he calms the storm. Same thing, calms the storm. And you remember what the disciples responded at that time. What they said was this, they said, Who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? All right. But now they don't say that. They don't say, who is this? They say now, truly, you are the Son of God. And this is a great upgrade in their theology and in their thinking. They were starting to really get now who Jesus is. Jesus was not just a really good teacher. He was not just a really good prophet who had the power to do miracles. Uh, he wasn't... Uh, just a potentially great leader that would be the Messiah and become king over Israel. No, they understand now that this is actually the Son of God. That Jesus is not just a man, he's actually also God. He has the very divine nature and character of the Father in him. Uh, how did they get to that understanding? Well, as, if you've been with us as we've been going through the last few chapters of Matthew... Uh, Jesus has been talking about the sower and the seed and the, all these interesting parables. And the point of those has all been that those who understand his teaching will have faith. And they will become his children and they will enter into his kingdom. Well, the disciples, it's been a long road. The understanding hasn't come all at once. But they're starting to understand more and more who Jesus is. Right? He's the Son of God. He is, he is God in human flesh. And he has, because of that, he has amazing power. Right? And so this time when Jesus calms the storm, it's not just because he's a great prophet, not because he's like Elijah. No, he's the Son of God. Right? And, and that really is the beginning of true faith. right? And, and here, here's the thing for us, two things. If you want to grow your faith, we need to focus on who Jesus is. Right? We need to be convinced and know that he is the Son of God who has power uh, to, to take care of us. But also that he has made the promise to never leave us or forsake us. Right? We need to hold on to those things. Second truth, though. Peter's big mistake was that he started off well uh, affirming those things. Right? Yeah, Jesus can do this. Yeah, Jesus is going to take care of me. I can walk on water because Jesus is with me. Right, Where did he go wrong? Well, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and he started looking at his circumstances. Right? And here's the thing. Where we get ourselves in trouble is when we start looking and focusing on the circumstances of our life instead of on Christ. Right? When we start looking at the problems, when we start thinking about the problems, when we start worrying about the problems, that's when things go bad for us, Right? Because all of a sudden we start giving power to those problems, and power and weight to those obstacles, and and and, and soon we'll start worrying and we'll start being afraid, and doubt will sneak in. Right. Uh, the, the secret is this: we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who cares for us, who loves us, who's promised to take care of us, and then we need to lock our gaze on Him. And the more difficult things get, the more we need to ignore the waves and the wind and just focus on Jesus, right? Just focus on him as the one who will help us, right? And reaffirm to ourselves over and over uh, his promises to take care of us. Um, But before that happens, how can we test? Like, how can we check? Because if I, again, if I go back to the, I ask you the question, can Jesus take care of you? sitting in this room where everything's okay and we got the aircon on and life's good, we're all going to say, well, yes, of course. Like, what's the real test that our faith is more than just knowledge without conviction, right? That's the problem. You can have this knowledge of what we're pretty sure Jesus will do, and it's not the same as a deep conviction. Well, I think how we can put it to the test right now is by this. It says that God, uh, those in the boat worshipped him they worshiped him. And here's what I have discovered in my own life. When when it's just when my theology is just ideas that are in my head and I can say yeah God is love, God's powerful, God cares for me, God's promised to never leave me or forsake me and they're just simply ideas I have in my head, it does not lead me to worship. Right? It's just information. It's just yeah, sure it's true. I believe that. Right? But when I've actually encountered those truths in a way that I know it's real, like I've grasped it in my heart, uh, it cannot help but blow you away. Are you being blown away by those truths? See, when you're being blown away by those truths, when you're just being shaken by the reality that God knows you and he cares for you and he's promised to be with you, The real test that it's going to that level is we should be moved to worship him. Wow, God, it is awesome that you love me. Lord, I want to respond by praising you and worshiping you and honoring you. See, that's the difference. When our life is full of worship and praise, it means that those truths are not just empty realities, but they 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 are my full reality of what's true. Right? They are my deep conviction. And I love Jesus more because of that. And I'm drawn to Him because of that. So that's why on Sundays, that's why we we love to worship. Worship is also a good test of faith. Where's our heart? Is our heart in it? Because we're affirming, this is who Jesus is, Son of God, God of grace and love, who's promised to never leave me or forsake me. So with that, let's... uh, Pray, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we, as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are, uh, first and foremost, the living God, full of grace and truth, who has promised to never leave us or forsake us, who's promised to care for us and be with us all the time, no matter how hard life gets, no matter what troubles we confront. You are there with us, Lord. Help us to have uh, a true and deep faith, a faith that can stand unshakable and unmoved uh, in the worst of storms, and a faith that uh, that helps us see you as the true and living Lord. Um, and Lord, we know that part of your heart and mission is to reveal the glory of the Father to us. Lord, may you give us eyes to see that glory. And a heart that sees and understands and has a vision for the wonder of who you are. And Lord, may we respond with true heart- heartfelt worship and praise. So Lord, we, we give ourselves to that even now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth that org